Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 54. Today I will be talking about the murders of Gary and Jan Tyrell. My sources for today's episode are Someone You Thought You Knew, Season 1, Episode 1, titled Killer Collection, A Time to Kill, Season 4, Episode 11, titled Dark Side of the Coin, and other sources include The Cinemaholic, Newsleader.com, and KMBC.com. As usual, all of my sources will be included in today's show notes. This is a small town community. This kind of thing doesn't really happen in Springfield. People were thinking, who had done this? Jan and Gary were kind of one of those couples that you want to grow up and be. We had robbery, we had homicide to cover up a homicide, and then we had the heinous manner in which they were murdered. Gary was a longtime educator in the Mountain Grove School District, where he worked for about 30 years. He worked as a teacher, assistant principal, and assistant superintendent. He had only been retired for about two to three years before his death. Gary's wife, Jan, loved to collect various ceramics and rare coins alongside her husband. She also loved to garden. Gary and Jan were loving to each other and to others. They were willing to help those closest to them. On May 1st, 2014, Jessica, the couple's 32-year-old daughter, called the police. She had been trying to get a hold of her parents since the previous night and into the morning. Jessica and her fiancé, Jason, drove from their home in Oklahoma City to Gary and Jan's in Springfield, Missouri, about a five-hour drive away. Jessica told the police when they arrived that they hadn't entered the home. When the police walked inside, they found the body of 60-year-old Gary in the front hallway. He was found on his back but lying in a strange position. There was a pool of blood under his head. In the basement office, the police found 61-year-old Jan. She had been bludgeoned and was lying face down. There was blood spatter on the walls. Small white flakes were found near Jan and Gary's bodies. The flakes were collected and sent in for testing, as well as a latex glove that was found. The police searched the home for additional evidence. Gary had several guns all over the home, lying out in the open. It was later revealed that Gary had been shot with one of his own guns. The couple also had many collectibles. It was clean and orderly and was described as looking like a museum. Gary collected coins. He collected old watches. He collected old guns, tomahawks, arrowheads, army memorabilia. Uh, Gary collected all that kind of stuff. It was hard to determine what was actually missing from the home, but it did seem like robbery was the motive. In the garage was a large safe. Gary was known to keep some valuables inside as well as a large amount of cash. The safe had pry marks on it and paint chips were found on the garage floor. The police didn't find any forced entry, which led them to their first suspects, Jessica and Jason. Jessica had keys to the home and was set to inherit everything, as she was the only child. Jessica and Jason were brought in for questioning. Jessica called me when I was at work uh, on May 1st and had expressed some concern because she hadn't been able to get in touch with her parents. Um, she and her mother spoke every morning on Jessica's drive to work, and that hadn't happened that morning. Jason said he too became concerned when they started driving over to Springfield and Gary and Jan still weren't answering their phones. Jessica and Jason arrived around 7 p.m. on May 1st. Just 
Jessica at a garage door opener for her parents' home. And she immediately noticed that both her mother and father's vehicles were inside. And that struck her as very alarming. Jessica tried calling again and then called the police. At first, the police believed that Jason and Jessica hadn't entered to preserve the crime scene. As you heard in that clip, Jessica revealed to the police that she was concerned that her father's side of the family would try to take items and that they knew what everything in her parents' home was worth. Five days later, uh, Jessica and Jason were questioned again, this time separately, and they were asked about their whereabouts on April 30th. Jessica said she last spoke to her mom on April 30th around 3.20 p.m. She then had a doctor's appointment until 5 and met Jason at Pizza Hut. They then returned to their home at 7 p.m. Jessica said Gary was supposed to teach a class from 5.30 to 9 p.m. Gary was known to text her goodnight, but she never received a message from him. On May 1st, Jessica tried calling her mom again at 7.30 a.m. The police were able to rule Jessica and Jason out. They were five hours away in Oklahoma City when Gary and Jam were killed. The police had also received the DNA testing back from the latex glove. It had male DNA inside it, and Jessica and Jason weren't a match. The next person that the police wanted to speak to was Larry, Gary's brother. Larry revealed that he and Gary hadn't always been close, but he had been close to his brother since their mom died. Larry told the police a lot of information about the items that Gary and Jan collected. The police could tell that Larry was holding something back, but his DNA wasn't a match to the latex glove either. He was also an hour away and had been at home with his wife when Gary and Jan were killed. Next, the police spoke to Gary's best friend, a man named Mark Porter. Mark had been the superintendent when Gary was his assistant. When the police spoke to him, he downplayed his relationship with Gary. He called him an acquaintance, even though Gary referred to Mark as his best friend. That was really disheartening because my dad definitely felt like Mark was his his best friend. Mark was asked about his whereabouts on April 30th. Mark said he went to work at IBM around 5.30 a.m. He worked throughout the whole day and had plans to meet with Gary at a local McDonald's around 7.45 p.m. He said Gary didn't show up, so he drove to Gary's home. There was no answer, so he decided to leave and go back to work. He arrived around 9.15 p.m., which his brother and his boss confirmed. A few days later, after Gary and Jan were killed, the home was released. Jason and Jessica did a walkthrough. Jessica noticed that one of the walrus tusks was missing, as well as her father's rare coin collection that he added up to about $20,000. The white flakes were later determined to have been from the missing walrus tusk. Gary kept meticulous notes about his collection. The police hoped that whoever had stolen the coins had sold them at a pawn shop, and their instinct was correct. The pawn shops had to keep records. At a pawn shop in downtown Springfield, a large collection of Gary's coins were sold for the face value of $13,021. The real value of the coins was about $185,531, which was closer to the $20,000 which had been written in Gary's notes. The police obtained the surveillance footage and saw that the person was none other than Mark Porter. 
The pawn shop had also obtained Mark's driver's license, and in the video, Mark was wearing the same clothes as he had been wearing during his police interview. Mark portrayed himself as successful, however, he was hiding a gambling addiction, and this was the information that Larry eventually revealed to the police. He had also revealed that Mark had asked Gary for a half a million dollar loan. Mark Porter was questioned again, and he denied being addicted to gambling. He'd said he did sell the coins, but that Gary had been teaching him how to collect and sell. The police asked Mark for a DNA sample, but he refused. For three months, narcotics officers followed Mark around to try to collect his DNA. Everywhere he went, he would take his cups, straws, etc. with him. However, one day, an undercover officer followed him into an auto body shop where he had gone for an oil change. Mark was drinking from a coffee cup, which he discarded when the oil change was complete. Mark's DNA was a match to the latex glove found in Gary and Jan's home. Two weeks later, Mark Porter was arrested. His computer and financial records were obtained, where they found an email from Mark to Gary asking about the loan. The police believe Mark went to the Terrells' home on April 30th to ask for the loan. Gary wasn't home, but Jan invited him inside. Mark asked Jan about the loan, but she said she'd have to, he'd have to wait until Gary returned. When she refused, Mark killed her with a walrus tusk. Gary had released his class early that night and returned home a little after 7 p.m. It's believed that Gary had interrupted Mark's robbery. Mark grabbed a gun and shot Gary. Mark grabbed the coins when he couldn't open the safe in the garage. On August 26, 2015, Mark pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree murder to avoid the death penalty. He was sentenced to two consecutive life terms. In 2016, Jessica filed a wrongful death suit against Mark. There has been no further information about the suit, but the family didn't reveal how much they were seeking. Jessica eventually married Jason, and her uncle Larry gave her away. No matter how hard someone tries or how much love and support they show you, there is no one who can take the place of a parent. I miss most just them being here. Their support, um, they were always a phone call away. Mark was in a desperate place. He asked Gary and Jan to help him, but that wasn't their responsibility to do so. Mark killed them and denied everything until the evidence caught up to him. I feel so bad for Jessica because many people, even those closest to her, thought she and Jason were capable of hurting her parents, even after she was cleared. It's sad because she obviously cared and loved her parents so much. They were killed because of a greedy, greedy person. My book recommendation for this week is Daisy Darker by Alice Feeney. Summary. After years of avoiding each other, Daisy Darker's entire family is assembling for Nana's 80th birthday in Nana's crumbling gothic house on a tiny tidal island. Finally back together one last time, when the tide comes in, they will be cut off from the rest of the world for eight hours. The family arrives, each of them harboring secrets. Then at the stroke of midnight, as a storm rages, Nana is found dead, and an hour later, the next family member follows. 
Trapped on an island where someone is killing them one by one, the Darkers must reckon with their present mystery as well as their past secrets before the tide comes in and all is revealed. This was another twisty thriller that I enjoyed. It's obvious that this family has secrets, but when they are reunited, all hell breaks loose. It kept me guessing until the final twist at the end, and I actually really mean that. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you enjoyed today's case and book recommendation. I'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, buy me a coffee, support the podcast, rate and review. I'm an independent podcast and blog. Everything I do is my own research and writing. I love receiving your comments, emails, etc. and it truly makes my day. I'll be back next week with an all new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.